from experience, we know that fifty percent of our listeners will listen to an actually hard episode. <laughs> so you guys can tune out. This is for the people with fucking brains. <laughs> this will join uh, the sanctions episode uh, down at the bottom. And the HLF the, uh, ones, just in the yeah, shitter. Right. <laughs> you know, just something that you can be proud of. <laughs> well, you- on that note, preparing for this episode, like, it cured all the homesickness I was feeling. <laughs> <laughs> right. Living here in France uh, made me super glad not to live in your shithole country anymore. Uh, so, you know, this is going to be one of those uplifting ones. Yeah, I grew up in Florida, sure. and I will say this doesn't make me miss it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're taking you back home again. Woo! Uh, yeah, 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 we're taking you back home again. You're listening to A-Lab. My name is Tarek. In 2018, Florida voters went to the polls and amended their state constitution to bring their state in line with much of the modern world by allowing most convicted felons in the state the ability to regain their right to vote after serving their sentences. By 2022, in perhaps the cruelest of his outrage cycle stunts, Florida governor and meme-turned-politician Ron DeSantis was announcing the arrest of 20 such former felons on new charges, this time of voter fraud. On this episode of A-Lab, Andy, Charles, Tim, and I explore the long and circuitous pathway leading from there to here. I hope you enjoy. Also, I wanted to say, you know, the, the work we do on the A Lab podcast is so important, yes. you know. <laughs> and this is this is an example of just the super important work. Yeah, that this we're doing. this episode is doing politics. That's all the right. other yeah. stuff, most podcasts don't do it at all. But this one, this one is is real. I I'm yeah. the real troops. Yeah, <laughs> your you know your mainstream media, your average podcast steers away from the tough uh, political stuff. Yeah. You know, but we get right in there and tell you things you don't really know. Yeah, uh, and one thing that we have, you know, like Florida is bad. Yeah, well, that. Uh, but, you know, we've tried to hammer this home for you uh, quite a bit. Um, and I'm not sure if you're really getting it, listener. Um, but going to jail, uh, it's not good. Uh, it's, you know, getting caught, getting caught up uh, in the carceral state, which, you know, many most people will tell you is good. It's not good. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. bad. Um, you know, we've talked about, I think this harkens back to the, uh, episodes we've done on Rikers Island, for example, uh, in, also in terms of the fact that any changes you might want to make to the legal system, to your political system, et cetera, are going to be halting one step forward, two steps back kind of situations yeah. uh, that, you know, yay, we won. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah. There are only temporary battles, not the, the war is forever. Yeah. I think this is a good episode for Cold Water, too, on the idea that um, obviously with recent decisions like Dobbs and all that. People are losing their faith in the judicial system, and so they think the cure is more democracy. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, this should be a good, uh, good roadmap for what happens when you try to solve these things through democracy. Right, right. What yeah. if all the branches are rotten? 
<laughs> As we finally turn to Florida, where voters are preparing to vote on Amendment 4, a measure that would restore voting rights to 1.4 million people with nonviolent felonies who've completed their sentences or never served time in jail. One in five African Americans in Florida, 10% of the state's built population are ineligible to vote in Florida because of a criminal record. Across the U.S., more than six million people with felony convictions are not eligible to vote. Florida is one of just four states that bar ex-felons from voting for life. I suppose we should say what we're talking about. <laughs> okay. As usual. We've decided to take on uh, very specifically the uh, re-enfranchisement and immediate disenfranchisement of felons in Florida. Um, the will of the people uh, having absolutely nothing to do with the will of uh, Governor Ron DeSantis. And so we're going to sort of flick through the sordid history of uh, Florida's increasingly wild efforts to disenfranchise people. What I love about this story in particular is, you know, all your favorites are there. You've got uh, the judicial system. You've got the state legislature. You've got federal court. You've got state court. You've got a goddamn plebiscite. Uh, yep. All of the elements of the state as, you know, through its, you know, legal and institutional structures uh, are operating together as a well-oiled machine at peak efficiency just to shit out the most confusing and depressing uh, result uh, of all. In order yeah. to directly thwart the will of the people, too. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, quite literally. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, you think that there might be some way of avoiding Trumpism in, in Florida state politics. But of course, that's not true because the, the federal court, the 11th Circuit is stacked now also. And so it's just as wild as whatever was going to happen in Florida without federal intervention. So let's talk a little bit about disenfranchisement. Yeah. Um, among the things that happen when you get thrown into the meat grinder of the carceral machine, right? Uh, the cops can murder you uh, early in the process. Uh, you can be uh, railroaded uh, in terms of the way they take evidence from you, either you know via unlawful searches and seizures or uh, coerced confessions. Uh, they can take your shit via civil forfeiture. They can hold you for months pre-trial, uh, detaining you uh, and beating you along the way, as we discussed in the Rikers episode. Again, the, being in jail, going through that system is awful. Uh, I've heard the food is terrible. <laughs> it's well, I mean, you know, there's also food loaf. Yeah. So when you when and then when you get out, you are exited into a patchwork uh, of uh, restrictions. Right. There's probation. There are there are court costs and fines and restitution. And so you're you're financially shackled. In addition to the fact that in most places it'll be held against you in any attempt at employment, society stands in the way of you sort of getting back on your feet, even even as much as the court system does. Right, and and we saw that most recently. Uh, my favorite politician in the current cycle, Doctor Oz, 
got very upset when he learned that uh, there were two murderers working for John Fetterman. Uh, now, these individuals had been in jail, done their time, uh, and been granted clemency by the state, but there was a, you know, an uproar that how dare these people, you know, be employed uh, after getting out, you know, and saying otherwise paying their debt to society, so to speak. A lot of this case revolves around uh, Gainesville, Alachua County, uh, and as we'll get to later. And I was in Florida and in Alachua County in the early 2000s. And I remember four blocks off of the University of Florida campus, there was a halfway house for people who had, you know, were recently exiting, you know, Alachua County Jail and stuff like that. Uh, one of the patchwork of restrictions that can happen to you after you get released uh, from county is you might have to you might have to take up residence at one of these places. And this was a place that was set apart from all sorts of bad neighborhoods, so that way you couldn't get into perhaps maybe your old ways or whatever. This is one of the reasons why it's good to have a place like that. And I can tell you that even from the progress, you know. Uh, relatively progressive university community. I mean, people were like outside cheering when they finally got it, you know, they finally got his permit taken or whatever and got it bulldozed and they sold it off to developers. This was a big halfway house that like lots of people getting out of county would use as a landing pad. And all the progressives were like, get this the fuck out of this neighborhood. We don't want it here. In addition to all of this in the United States, uh, and we're not alone in the world. There are at least a couple of other countries. Uh, there is a patchwork of disenfranchisement that occurs. You know, I think over time, uh, many states have kind of come in from the cold and determined that there's a way back into polite society, voting society in particular, uh, over time. Uh, I think shout out to Vermont and Maine as the two states where you can actually vote from prison. But the other states have a sort of a, a general patchwork where uh, people with felony convictions may not be able to vote at all. Yeah. Or yeah. they can only vote upon completion of sentence or, yeah. you know, they have, you have to complete all of your parole. Right. Or uh, So there's a patchwork of laws. Uh, whereas I think elsewhere, you know, I think Canada criminal disenfranchisement laws are completely unconstitutional, right? Uh -huh. In Europe, all but I think Belgium and whatever, uh, many of the Nordics uh, permit people to vote from inside prison. But the Nordics don't allow you to vote from prison? The Nordics do. Andrew, sorry, oh, okay. I was going to say, Anders Brevik has a better studio than most of the comedians. <laughs> yeah. <in there. laughs> it's not the issue that we're touching. This is just to touch on. It's not the issue we're covering in this uh, podcast, but a comment you just made about Vermont uh, and what was whatever the other state was, Maine. Maine. and then Maine that they allow you to vote from prison. That is the extreme minority position, uh, obviously yes. in the United States. But it is an interesting uh, issue that if you want, as a listener, to go out and look up, it, there's a lot of interesting problems that come up with not allowing even people who are incarcerated to vote because prisons are usually located out. They're not located next to cities. They're located out in, uh, you know, out in the country or upstate somewhere. And so what they end up doing is this really fascinating thing where they, they bulge the population of a county well beyond what it would normally be because you're basically carting people out from the cities where everyone's getting arrested over to some county, which now has the benefit of having a high population. So they get more power in the state legislature and the federal legislature accounted to them. But the people who are there are not allowed to vote. And so it's very much, it's very like three-fifths compromise. These are people that you get voting power on the backs of, but they cannot participate. Well, and it's, and it's especially perverse because you're giving power to a place that has the prison as central to their economy. Yeah, yeah right. And so you are, 
you are basically getting this large population group whose presence makes their own lives more punitive. Right. Everybody in that town has an interest in using those prison people's political power to make prisons, you know, bigger, more expansive, more money sent to them for, you know, everything but making their lives better. Anyway, I know it's an aside. I just wanted to throw that in. Well, it's not necessarily because you said the three-fifths compromise sort of thing. These laws are directly and deeply intertwined with the darker sort of racial elements of the Americans experiment, right? As I understand it. And, you know, uh, we, we're drawing heavily on some work from the Brennan center. Who's done a lot of the work that we'll be talking about today. So shout out to them and to our friend Ames, uh, over there. But, um, you know, this, this is, these are laws that became suddenly very interesting to us (laughs) as lawmakers after uh, the granting uh, of suffrage uh, to African-Americans, yeah. African-American yep. men at the time after, after the end of the Civil War. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. You read some of the opinions on this and you the history gives you a lot. Number one, America has always loved disenfranchising felons, right? Like mm-hmm. a lot of these laws predate the Civil War, some yes. forms of them. Right. And so the and so the 11th Circuit is very clear in their history that there was no racial animus in the original laws. I'm sure they they kind of gloss over the fact that I it is we can all assume that there was a lot of class animus. (laughs) Um, But since they were so racist that black people couldn't vote at all. Uh, the fact that they were disenfranchising felons wasn't itself racial. It just was a different breed of bias. But this, the, the post civil war atmosphere and the refusal to excise the Confederacy from any political power in the aftermath of the civil war just led to a lot of doubling down on this, criminalizing being free and black in all kinds of ways. And so punishing voting was, even though technically in a way race neutral, the fact that uh, black people were thrown in prison constantly and subject to these laws kind of went hand in hand. Yeah, and it's a situation that continues through to today and rhymes very much with the event we're going to talk about, the 2018 constitutional amendment in Florida and then the over the, the sort of overturning or complicating of that by the legislature because they're motivated by the same thing. You get a big, large population of, you know, there's there's all sorts of felons and they're not all black, but you do get a big, large population of black people that's about to get the right to vote restored to them. We got to do something. We got to have some kind of legislative response that puts a kibosh on this. Uh, in order to keep the stranglehold we have over, you know, Florida politics. The rules have roots in 1868, when the state's new constitution effectively banned ex-slaves from voting. Governor Crist reformed the process, restoring rights to 150,000 people. But Governor Scott tightened rules again, only restoring rights to about 3,000 ex-felons, just 10% of the cases they've heard. And they hear only 50 cases per quarter, with 1.6 million still banned. 2018 was not the beginning, though. I mean, there were efforts no. to... Uh, I mean, this, this is a known problem. I mean, it's funny because these are sort of broad general human principle 
you you live quite literally in a society, uh, and being able to sort of vote in. <laughs> It's a through line with every A-Lab episode, that we live in a society. <laughs> your ability to vote in your leaders uh, is one of sort of the key things you get. Yeah. And and to be clear, I mean, it's not like there was ever any I – mean, we talk about racial animus, but there's no neutral principle by which permanent felon disenfranchisement kind of serves an end. It's not as though there was a fear mm-hmm. that felons would band together and make a crime as legal party. Right. Really just though, though that is what they argue in like the prison districts. They're like, if you give them universal enfranchisement, they will actually pass laws that stop us from beating them. Uh, yeah. You know, They'll like make they crime they, legal and cops yeah, like that the mayor of Otisville will yeah. actually be incarcerated. Point being, beyond the kind of horse race politics that I think drives a lot of this. As a general matter, the Republicans don't be wanting you to vote and, you know, Democrats really want a lot of people to vote, right? right. You know, so uh, a lot of this gets covered and thought about in terms of who is this good for? But if you pull the lens away from our diseased partisan political system, you know, the world has been moving this way or has not ever been this way in some cases for a long time. And, you know, I mean, as you said, you know, not all of the disenfranchisement laws were born out of sort of Jim Crow post-Civil War, you know, good old-fashioned American racism. Some of them harken back to good old-fashioned common law British, uh, you know, racism where, you know, the people are just racist against (laughs) chimney sweeps and poles, you know. But, yeah, but so we come out of a particularly brutal system and the arc of history has been bending towards a more holistic. This is the Irish were slaves as well portion of the podcast. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Grant uh, and preservation of uh, the franchise for all citizens, even those who kind of go astray. I don't think it's a stretch at all, though, to think that these laws were probably applied to, like, arrest a bunch of the Irish so that they fucking vote less. And then they, they, their response to that was, well, we'll just take over the police department so every single one of us will become a fucking cop. So you get your ass beat by a guy named Mahoney and, uh, right. you know, n- nowadays, and, like, that's how they fix that problem for themselves. Right. They volunteered to beat up the Italians. That's what they did, yeah. <laughs> so there was a there was a litigation. I mean, I, I'm sure there have been efforts before that, but going back to 2005, there was litigation Johnson v. Bush, right? I was in 2000. Well, no, uh, oh, the, I, the the opinion the, the, the 11th Circuit decision came out in 2005, yeah, right? Yeah, that case was going on for a while, and that was that was that was one of the cases I was talking about. Where reading it is just interesting because they they're like this can't be racial animus. Because the disenfranchised felons are 70% white, even though, like, black people are overrepresented uh, in the group because they are less than 30% of the state, I guess. Uh, It it still was predominantly white people who were disenfranchised. And so they're like, so that's not racial animus. It was was pre-Civil War, so that's not racial animus. And uh, they distinguish it from a 1901 statute, which was post-Civil War. And, uh, like, the the record is replete with, like, really grotesque animus. You know, like, and the Supreme Court found that law was, uh, you know, in 1985, they found that this old Alabama law was clearly motivated by animus and struck it. 
you know, but they, but the baseline is because of a phrase in the 14th Amendment that says that, you know, the franchise can be restricted to people who've committed crimes or whatever. Like it's kind of, uh, you know, it's like mentally incompetent or those who've committed crimes or something like that. And section two of uh, the 14th Amendment, they're like the baseline is that it's okay to disenfranchise felon. Yeah, they treat it like an exception to the to the Equal Protection Clause. They basically argue that the Equal Protection Clause has a built-in exception for people who have been convicted. Of, yeah, if we can do it uh, in this really crime. contorted way where we just discriminately police, that'll launder it, and then it's not racist right. anymore to do. Right. <laughs> instead, instead, of course, if you live in the real world, it's way more racist. Right. They even find ways to, to launder the old, incredibly racist laws right. because they're yeah. like, if they've been ratified by the modern non-racist government of uh, Dixie – uh, and obviously it's fine. <laughs> yeah, now. it was crazy reading some of these things where they're like, no, no, they re-upped in 1965 in Alabama and no one said the N-word while they did it. So that's perfectly fine. Yeah. Do you think, does it, just, just as a, just as a poll, do you think if you are a person of color listening to this podcast, that you'd like to travel back to 1960s Alabama and see how like going to the store goes or. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure the debate was very measured. Yeah. Right. If you're not familiar with voting rights litigation, uh, this is just an, uh, another side. But this kind of head counting gamesmanship is how a lot of it goes. Uh, disparate impact voting rights litigation. They always pull these kinds of. There's all these kinds of moves where you sort of ignore th the way the law might have uh, its harshest effects on black people, and you'll just go, "Well, America's mostly white, and most of the felons are white, so it's not racist." Done. Easy. Right. Yeah. Which they have to do because uh, a lot of these voting laws are very disproportionately impacting, um, you know, lower income people and particularly, you know, people of color. And I mean, one of the things that will drive you crazy when you read these uh, opinions is that they're just soaked through with crocodile tears mm -hmm. um, where they're just like, we admit that it was we're like, this law wasn't racially motivated. But to be clear, it was a super racist time. <laughs> uh, you know, like everyone was very racist, but they were also, <laughs> you know, they fundamentally just wanted to disenfranchise felons. They didn't get black people by disenfranchising them this way. They screwed black people by uh, gerrymandering them in really aggressive ways so they could have no representation. Yeah, these opinions really lament the the effects, the current effects as well. But, I mean, they, they position themselves as essentially powerless to stop it because yeah, okay, there was no racial animus. The we admit it's disturbing. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. But yeah. That's the, that does not guide our analysis. And just to hit the yeah. numbers here, I'm looking at this article. It's like a professor putting together a lot of numbers on this. And one of the things that she says, I think her name is Allison Riggs, but she tries to explain the amount of people that are disenfranchised. So in 2010, these are the numbers that she's working from, over half a million African-Americans were disenfranchised, constituting 23.32% of the state's African-American voting age population. Jesus of those Christ. disenfranchised, over 83% had completed their sentences. <laughs> so check this out. While one out of 10 Floridians are disenfranchised, because the, the total number was like uh, 1.5 million disenfranchised, 14.8 million eligible voters, so about 10%. One, while one out of 10 are disenfranchised, one out of four 
eligible black Floridians are denied the right to vote. I mean, that's 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 very significant. <laughs> well, it's, a pi- it's a pity that doesn't guide there. And as an important podcast, we're here to tell you that is bad. Yeah. Yeah, bad. we're not in favor of this. No. <laughs> and neither should you be. Right. Uh, you know, I know I, this is all shocking and new information to you, uh, yeah. and, and I hope that you are, 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 are sufficiently appalled. Yeah, and they address this in the, like, in the most crocodile tearsy sentence in the opinion where they go, although disturbing – the present racially disparate impact of the felon disenfranchisement law does not guide our analysis. <laughs> just know, so too bad. Just, just yeah. fuck it. <laughs> we are disturbed by it, but not sufficiently to act. Yeah. That uh, is super fucked, yeah. but moving on. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get to what's really important yeah. here, um, which is the law. Right. And and by the way, they they threw in a nugget here, which I think was incredible, where you know, part of the analysis of the people challenging the law was that it was a violation of the disparate impact standards uh, of the Voting Rights Act, Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act, right? So forgetting about animus, they're like, just the disparate impact should be enough for you to knock this out. And their answer to this was that if you try to apply disparate impact analysis, in the face of the 14th Amendment's explicit uh, permission to uh, to punish felt to punish people who've committed crimes by stripping them of the right to vote, it may raise constitutional concerns because obviously uh, there is no way to reconcile something that allows you to punish people who've committed crimes. And the other amendments that don't allow you to do so discriminatorily. And so if you possibly try to reconcile an anti-discrimination amendment with this throwaway line that you can strip the franchise from people who've committed crimes, we obviously have to fall on the side of allowing discrimination. For sure. What are you? What else are you going to do? I do before before we move on from Johnson. There's one like awesome position that's taken in the district court opinion that gets affirmed at the Eleventh Circuit that just like blows my mind. And it has to do with one one part of the the plaintiff's challenges. They said that uh, there was a requirement even then that disenfranchised ex offenders uh, needed to have paid all their victim restitution in order to be eligible. To, for restoration of civil rights. And what they said was, the fact that we have to pay this victim restitution is an impermissible poll tax. If you don't know, poll taxes are unconstitutional. Uh, you, you shouldn't, you're not supposed to have to pay to exercise your right to vote. Now, the court rejects this claim uh, on an incredible fucking line. What they say is that impermissible poll taxes burden the right to vote. But see, you guys don't have a right to vote because we took it away. So this isn't a poll tax. This isn't money you have to pay to vote. This is just money you have to pay in order yeah. to vote. And the 11th Circuit is like, yeah, f- f- 100%. Fucking great. A plus. I mean, I think the better argument on restitution ultimately was that restitution doesn't go to the state, right? That's making the victim whole. And so I will grudgingly find that like only – kind of offensive instead of as egregious as most of this because at least it separates what's going to the government from what's going to the victim i don't think any of this should have anything to do with the right to vote at all it shouldn't burden it at all it's not a poll tax because we move that part of the equation to the front instead of where it was at the back um right. so it's not a poll tax <laughs> 
Yeah. I mean, they make it they make it worse later. If you're in law school, you're <laughs> fucking busting your ass trying to like figure out the intricacies of these opinions, and they they're just shitting them out. <laughs> There's no yeah. fucking logic so, to it. I don't even I don't even know what law professors are doing right now, given what's going on in like the Fifth Circuit and the Eleventh Circuit and the Supreme Court. I feel like all of law school now is like that scene in Dead Poet Society. Where they're just tearing pages. Out if you're of a litigator, books. you just strip mine every. You just strip it all down and turn it into a rhetoric class. And if you're not a litigator, you're. Pro- I don't know. We fucking fossilized just, in place, like trying to talk about doctrine that is. Uh, de- yeah, dead just letter. start a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the after the 2005 uh, decision, uh, Governor then Charlie Crist. Uh, undertakes which is funny because he was like a law and order prosecutor for for most of his career right uh then undertakes some certain clemency rule reforms that would automatically restore voting right at least a certain non voting rights to at least to certain non violent uh offenders right so that's very good but then yeah. in comes uh everyone's favorite medicare fraudster rick scott <laughs> in 2011 <laughs> and Undoes all of that. Is that a confirm that he's Medicare fraud? I don't want to get. Uh... Uh, I am looking at Politifact, sure. and they rate it mostly true. So our but source for that is, uh, is Politifact. Yeah. Got it. Just making I am sure. Reading for from any Politifact, there is no way we're first on the list of Rick Scott to sue people who say he's been involved with Medicare fraud. Everyone's um, favorite person who's engaged in conduct that others have determined to be Medicare fraud. Yeah. Um, everyone's everyone's allegedly favorite. Please, alleged. please go after the New York crimes. Leave us alone. Mr. Senator, please. Uh, we've had enough. Um, so he reverses the Christ baby step forward. And I think that sets the stage for. Wait, wait, wait. Hang on. Hang on. You got to hear the numbers on this. Okay, Okay. so for restoration of civil rights, you had to apply for clemency or whatever. Um, In 2009, 2010, about 30,000 Floridians regained the right to vote via this restoration process. Okay, (laughs) 2010, 2011, 5,771 Floridians get the restoration. After the change to the rules made by Rick Scott, the number of restorations Mm. in 2011, 2012, 420. Jeez. And then in 2011, you got the Tampa Bay Times saying that there's a backlog at the board for 95,000 applications. They decided a study they needed like 25 full-time employees and they didn't budget jack shit for it. Right. Zero. But then the backlog was reduced once they changed the rules enough to say, yeah, none of you people are fucking eligible anyway. And and Scott's rules, right, to be clear, like Christ, Christ came up with a bunch of rules that included like commutations and remission of fines and gave mm-hmm. people gun rights and civil rights back and yeah it's a know. very it's a very 2007 policy where you kind of accept all the republicans arguments that like prisoners <laughs> are like evil monsters who like want to steal everything from you uh and yeah. then says well what if what if we just let the ones that aren't do that Right. Uh, get their votes and so it has all these hoops <laughs> that you gotta jump through uh, right. and then Rick Scott came in and said actually we don't want those guys either I wish that, yeah. that was a 2007 <laughs> model of fucking doing politics but I think we might still be pretty close to that <laughs> yeah yeah. but Rick Scott's reforms were like first of all you can't even apply to get your voting <laughs> rights back until you've been out of jail for five years I think it was seven or years. longer with certain 
uh, you know, there were like ways to make it even worse than five years. Right. Right. And they're like, we have exclusive discretion over this. Cool. Right. There is nothing that guides our decision on whether we do or don't grant it. And then they don't even open them. <laughs> Right, like we don't, we don't have a timeline. We don't have standards. We're not required to open. Them. Right, we just like we all we have is like there is a process, and it is constitutionally specific. The process is we have a really big shitter, and we fucking yeah, right, yeah. If we have a can to throw, if we place a shredder in your neighborhood to run your application through. That is due process. This is the vo- this is the voting restoration shitter, and we'll just we'll hit the flush every three weeks. <laughs> if the fax machine, there's a little gust of wind, and the application goes over it, and it falls on the floor, and somebody sees it, then we'll grant you clemency later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, so there was litigation over the Scott rule too, apparently. Yeah. Uh, and the district court found it unconstitutional. Yeah, back in 2018. It rolled back some of what Scott was doing, but it ended up like the timing basically meant that it didn't matter because it was right before the vote on Amendment 4 anyway. So the po- at some point, you know, after all of this uh, halting and back and forth with clemency rules and executive actions and litigations going nowhere, uh the Flor- Floridians take a rather remarkable step of uh, taking to their, uh, you know, voting population the question uh, of whether or not the Florida Constitution should be amended uh, to grant uh, felons the right to vote uh, after service of their sentence. And I mean, that's a pretty big deal. I think under Florida rules, you need 60 percent. Uh, of voters or more uh, for that amendment to pass. Uh, and it, it passed very easily with 65% uh, of Floridians deciding that it was time to bring Florida uh, into at least the 20th, if not the 21st <laughs> century. Right? Let's not get crazy. It's pretty significant that the population would go to the polls uh, and amend their constitution. I mean, that's a fairly mm-hmm. clear and unambiguous statement. And it's it's fucking hard yeah. to get something on the ballot. <laughs> yeah. Like, you have to put a lot of time <laughs> and money and signature gathering. Yeah. Forget yeah. about just, like, actually winning an overwhelming victory. Like, mm-hmm. actually stopping people in the public's parking lot to get them to sign your goddamn petition on the grounds that you want to help people in who've gotten out of jail you know like i i won't sign to stop people from polluting next door to my house So um, the text was pretty unambiguous as well. This amendment restores the voting rights of Floridians with felony convictions. You think? After they complete all their terms of sentence, all terms of their sentence, including (laughs) parole or probation. The amendment would not apply to those convicted of murder or sexual offenses who would continue to be permanently barred from voting unless the governor and cabinet vote to restore their rights on a case-by-case basis. Um. So pretty clear, right? 65% of people say, you know what? My neighbor 
he may have, uh, or she, uh, may have done, uh, made a little boo-boo, did a little oopsie, you know, but after they've served their time, I would like my neighbor to be able to go back to the polls uh, and vote for, uh, you know, more or less indistinguishable Democrat or Republican uh, as offered to them. What the any- fuck can <laughs> you get 65% of anybody to agree on? Like Jeffrey Epstein wasn't, didn't commit suicide? Like what the fuck well, else there, are people on Minimum wage, uh, <laughs> allowing abortion. It seems like a lot of that stuff actually passes pretty handily with uh, amendments well, like this. Well, that, I mean, I think that's, I think that's right. I mean, I, I think people don't, uh, certain people who don't like representative democracy hate this kind of thing because if you go, strangely enough, as psychotic yeah. as we think Americans are, if you go to them and you say, hey, do you think that people should have more rights or less rights? They typically say, you know what, more rights. You know, you, yeah. you and, and this is like also, a poll or something that's like framed. This is like, here's what's actually going to happen. And people yeah. look at it and say yes. <laughs> no, I think people are also uh, child molesters, which would be a lie under this, getting the right to vote. And it's like, well, no. Uh, but you know, once it's once it's real, people I think make the more rational decision. Yeah, though I think it's also worth noting how dumb people generally are, right? Yeah. Like if you ask people if felons, if people in prison should be allowed to take college classes, they say no. And then if you ask them if people in prison should be forced to take college classes, they say yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, they can't do it if they want to, but they have to do it if they don't. Right. And if like you can find a way to phrase the entire Bill of Rights so that a majority of people will oppose them. Yeah. Like not but, even I mean, that not even that complicated to do. It's like all like and so and so I sometimes wonder about all of this polling that yeah, seems no, that's, to that's, completely that's go like, against this is a, people's this voting. Is a, this is a plebiscite, so it's real. Like people, people right, right. understand that what <laughs> no, they're doing is, is real. Actual statements in the real world that will affect the world around them. And when yeah. it happens, they say, "You know what? Somebody that committed a crime 15 years ago should be allowed to vote. That yeah. shouldn't be the thing that prevents them from voting." This is the purest expression of democratic will. You exactly. Know. It's it's not being packaged. You know, do you believe that President Trump should you know murder all <laughs> yeah, felons? Sign, you know, sign I, to, MAGA to own to the to own the libs. You know, like I mean, right. it's sort it, it divorced from the sort of diseased partisan politics of America. You know, I I do think generally Americans tend to make you know reasonable decisions yeah. in things like this. Although, in not in all cases, as we've seen right. some no, yeah. awful awful ballot initiatives in California yeah. and other things get passed for sure. Yeah. And, and I think it's fair to say that the reason why referenda pass differently than people mm. generally being elected is, I think, when people are voting, they are very party committed, mm-hmm. and yeah. they are also like very issue focused and so if you none of these people would choose a different governor based on the governor's position on felon uh enfranchisement right. but if you ask them that specific question they're like i want a governor who will reverse this policy that i am about to vote for <laughs> i take i mean i take all your points on this and i and i see that you guys so like i, I was saying I, I was kind of surprised that everybody voted for this but i will say that i think i was in at least in the majority as far as the position i think everybody probably in the country was fucking shocked 
Yeah, this yeah. Is fucking national yeah, it was, news. It was an upset. And I can tell you who was who was fucking shocked is the Florida legislature. They did not yeah, see yeah, this yeah. fucking. Yeah, thing. they they were they were not. They yeah, thought I mean, all their voters would vote on party lines. On they had this no stuff. fucking idea. Yeah. yeah, right. I mean, they were sh- they were shocked because they can't believe that anyone who voted for them voted for this. Like, right, and we nuts? were shocked you guys know because we have happen? a very low opinion of people generally. <laughs> but the people have spoken, so. Uh, yeah. Good news. The good guys win. The story's over. Uh, yeah. Thanks for listening to A Lab. You didn't think the Florida legislature would go Something against the will of the people, would you? Yeah. Florida voters have spoken, and the Sunshine State just gained more than one million voters for future elections. It was one of the many amendments on the ballot, Amendment 4. Voters agreed to restore voting rights to convicted felons except murderers and sexual offenders. CBS4's Amber Diaz explains what it means for future elections. Yesterday while we were canvassing, people just were saying, we can't vote, we can't vote, we can't vote. And I told them, I said, in a few hours, that's going to change. A few hours and 150 years later, it did. Members of the Dream Defenders and the new Florida majority talking about that win. Before yesterday, you actually lost your rights forever. Last night, more than 64% of people in the state of Florida restored voting rights to convicted felons. The new law has given an estimated 1.4 million people who've completed their sentences the right to vote in the next election. We knocked on over 1.5 million doors. We texted and phone called millions of people across the state of Florida. We identified what return of citizens looked like. Not everybody served time, not everybody went to prison, but their rights have been taken away from them. The former system required felons who have completed their sentences to wait five years, then seek clemency from the governor and cabinet. This is gonna bring more progressive people to the forefront that's get, get them to the polls and that's going to change the way that we make decisions for our community. Well, you know, there's there's different ways that the people can express their will. They can go to the fo- they can go to the polls on this on an issue and say this is the way we want it to be. Or they can elect a bunch of mutants uh, <laughs> to their state legislature who say uh this may be the way you want it to be, but we'd like to take another crack. Actually, at this, this is a good point. I don't know if this is a practice tip because if you're the person that's in the position <laughs> to do this stuff, um, you probably uh, rule over us and don't need ALEB. But a constitutional amendment and a statute are different. And a statute and administrative regulations are also different. And there always needs to be someone that comes up with those rules. There will right. every legislative victory you get is going to have to be decided on other rules, and those rules are going to have to be decided on, you know, enforcement manuals and things like that. And so there's always one extra little step that needs to yeah. happen uh, once you get a, a quote-unquote victory. You can always tweak it yep. with other types of laws. Right. Uh, is I think right. what you're saying. And if you yes. want to, and and as the people who don't want uh, felons to ever vote, you have to win every time. And we only have to win. Once. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and and people pay attention less as as it goes down and down. A constitutional right. amendment is something everyone cares about. The enforcement manual for the Florida Board of Elections in Broward County is not something people really care about. Yeah. Right. All right. So all you got to do is you read the text of the amendment, and this is what they do. They go, "What the fuck? That passed?" And they go read the text of the amendment, and they say, "Oh, it says 
all the terms of your sentence or the, the term of your sentence. Well, normally most people would consider that to mean the period of your sentence. The uh, the, right. the the, the, yeah. the period, the term of your sentence is, is how many years were you sentenced to? The and thing they just, people and literally they just call go, paying your debt to society. And they just go, right. well, that sentence is that we, we interpret that more capaciously as uh, meaning all the money that we can possibly stack on and we'll never track. And as we'll explain, uh, you have no ability to figure out how much you owe. And then we will turn this amendment into effectively restoring no one's fucking right to vote and in fact hanging a sword over your head if you ever try yeah i mean that's it right i think people reasonably thought it would mean the term in prison and arguably probation they certainly didn't right. think that the end result would be no one getting the right to vote. right <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right that's probably that seems, not well, what they thought they were that about. seems likely <laughs> Yes. But if you were one of those people who thought that this certainly didn't mean that no one would get a, get the right to vote back, uh, you know, congratulations, you're a judge. Point being, the, the legislature of the state of Florida decides that they can't allow this uh, to go. Uh, that this this amendment needed some improvements, um, and so they passed uh, a law defining serving your sentence to mean payment of all those fines. Uh, And so it's court costs and it's uh, restitution and it's it's any public defender fees in in certain cases. I mean, like you have to pay for your legal aid attorney and that's included. And you have to pay like a, you know, welcome to court fee. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and you're like, like, yeah, like yeah. It's so awesome because if you, it, I'm sure that if you ask like the social justice-minded public defender who you know took your case and tried your case or whatever, you ask them, do they want you to not get your voting right back because you haven't paid your fee? They don't give a, they're no fucking way. They are a hundred percent on one side of this issue, but somehow they found a way to use all of these people's job (laughs) against the very people they're defending. It's really fucking contorted. Some Republican lawmakers in Florida are trying to delay a measure that will restore voting rights to about 1.4 million former felons. Voters approved Florida's Amendment 4 with about 65% of the vote back in November. Delay is a word that's being used by proponents of the measure, those who did want to see the rights of former felons restored. Uh, They're uh, going on a comment that was made by the newly sworn in governor, Ron DeSantis, to a newspaper that he wanted the legislature to have a chance to look at, quote, the implementing language of that amendment. Many of them felt that it was written to automatically become law, that people would be able to register today, and already many of those former felons already have. So many people do not know whether those who very jubilantly got out to register to vote for the first time in a long time today will be able to cast ballots come March. I'm curious about Democrats and civil rights groups. Are they planning to counter attempts to sort of slow this ballot initiative? Uh, Absolutely. In fact, today they were trying to make sure that anyone who is eligible to now register to vote, those are the 1.4 million people that you referenced earlier who have completed all the terms of their sentences or paroles and uh, probations, and also those who were not convicted of any sex crimes or murders. They were trying to get them out. They were trying to tell them, here's the information you need to get out there and vote. So, Manny, shortly after Amendment 4 was passed in November, you actually spoke to a 64-year-old man who has never voted because of a crime that he committed in his 20s. Here's what he had to say. There'll be a day that I really feel good 
I really feel like a citizen, you know, not just a person, a Floridian, but I would feel like an American. So the Senate bill at 7066 uh, was the was the law. This was also also immediately challenged. There was an injunction staying it, if I recall correctly. Yep. And the 11th Circuit upheld that injunction? Yeah. Yeah. The 11th Circuit upheld the injunction on the grounds that there was prior case law that you can't basically it's kind of like poll tax analysis where they're like, if the person literally can't pay, right. And they, they, I think they do exempt restitution from this, right. Cause restitution goes to the victim, blah, blah, blah. But if they literally can't pay the costs and fines that are attached to their sentence, uh, then, uh, it's unconstitutional. And so for, so they upheld the injunction. They basically kicked it back to Florida to determine a process for determine, like to work out a way of determining the definition of unable to pay. Like you Mm -hmm. have to, they have to be able to figure that out. And so then it went back to the district court for like a full merits trial on the, on the law itself. Okay. In the meantime, our friend Ron DeSantis gets involved. Um, and he, for some reason, goes to the Florida Supreme Court, uh, while all this federal litigation is going on and asks them to, and asks them for an advisory opinion, which, among other things, you know, I'm, I'm just a simple French lawyer. Uh, <laughs> But I, I thought courts didn't do that. You know, I guess that's something that federal, Florida does. Federal, yeah, yeah it's, federal it's, no, no, courts. It's, it's pretty co- <laughs> I actually certify. So federal courts uh, very often will certify questions to uh, to Supreme Courts, and they'll say, "Okay, we're ruling over some state law uh, action here in diversity. Well, what do you guys think? How would you rule on this?" Now, oftentimes they'll just they'll just run with it, and they'll say, "Well, we have oh. the precedent in front of us; we can figure it out." But sometimes you'll certify a question, and I think that this is sort of like that. Um, it it mm-hmm. they, they don't. The federal constitution requires a case or controversy, but you may find state constitutions where the Supreme Court says the state Supreme Court goes, "No, no, we will absolutely yeah, tell us, d- ask us. We want to be in charge of this." Yeah, right. I mean, it's yeah. funny. I went to I went to find this on the Supreme Court of Florida site, and I thought it would be really easy because there wouldn't be many advisory opinions yeah. uh, in January of uh, 2020 or whatever, and it or 2019, and it turns out there were a, like a lot. Like it's something I guess that's fairly common. Right. With, uh, when, when issues are being challenged in federal court, uh, I guess the governor is like, why don't you, uh, get out ahead of this and yeah. tell the federal court how our state courts are going to interpret this before they, uh, certify it to you? Because very often, you know, like the state Supreme Courts aren't on, you know, contract. And so the Fifth Circuit can certify a question and the Florida Supreme Court can tell them to fuck off. But at the same time, the, you know, the governor can be like, 
how about if you give us a hand with this because we're litigating in the Northern District of Florida? And so that's what this was. You know exactly where this state Supreme Court opinion is going, right? When you get to the language, some non-state parties argue that all terms of sentence (laughs) refer to durational periods rather than to obligations and contemplate only periods. here in Florida. right, exactly. (laughs) As soon as you read that language, you can skip the other fucking 40 pages of this thing. Some fancy lawyers from out of state. ACLU pieces of shit. Never mind everybody. I read the dictionary. Everybody in Florida from New York anyway, but some self-aggrandizing lawyer podcasters from the state of New York. <laughs> Other non-state. Oh, yes, yeah, so good. Um, yeah, surprisingly, the advisory opinion came down uh, interpreting this new amendment that uh, when it, w- the language of the amendment was meant to c- encompass payment of fines uh, uh, and other things that were within the sentencing document. And so that means that like things that accrue after don't count. No. Um, the, the argument here that they're making is like the natural and popular meaning, what everybody would have understood. It's a great argument, okay? Because you're not talking to lawyers, you're polling everybody, okay? You're not polling members of yeah. the legislature who might have like some law degree or whatever. So, so but, but of course they jump into like, well, sentence under Black's Law Dictionary. Okay, you guys yeah. don't want to fucking... Yeah. <laughs> they yeah. are shit canning your brief. Webster's defines a society as. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I there, think huh? it's... Vi- I mean, there's a concurrent <laughs> Right. And the concurrence is basically like, I think you're going a little too far with this. The uh, and it's funny because I like it says it's a concurrence. And then I was just sort of surprised because it's like a concurrence. And then they're like, I think you're going a little too far with textualism. But I also think it just kind of plain meaning reads uh, like everyone would have understood this to include the fines. Although, as we said, everyone everyone did vote on it. They were polled on it. And they did understand it to mean something. And yeah, right. And it wasn't this. Probably people didn't think that it wasn't useless. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly right. There's no fucking way you can you can rationally interpret this amendment to mean what it has affected. I'm gonna go I'm gonna go out on a limb and guess that most most people voting for this probably weren't parsing it that thin thinly at all. No, right. Yeah, but that goes to the fact that if they didn't parse it that thin, then it probably didn't mean all of this stuff. Yeah, you don't need to get right. into Scalia and Garner and Black's Law dictionary to figure out what these terms mean. You need a regular fucking person. <laughs> right. I think the will of the Florida electorate, or at least 64.5% of them was, was that uh, there's people who can't vote today because they had uh, uh, a criminal conviction. Uh, and we think that when, you know, they should be able to uh, vote tomorrow after we pass this law saying they can vote. And the fact that, you know, not anybody is getting that right uh, because it's being stymied by the legislature, probably you know was not anticipated by anybody. There's no way that's what they thought they were voting for. Yeah, and they don't poll anyone. They're just like, yeah. I mean, they voted for something that said terms of sentence. They don't want to know. And since I think what terms of sentence mean is this, right? They voted for this. Nobody they, wants yeah. to know what those regular people thought because nobody wants to reach that conclusion. It's obvious. It's obvious what right. they're going to say. Why do you need that? Conclu- Why do you need that information when you have Black's Law Dictionary, <laughs> <Right. laughs> which they all had a copy of at their fucking voting at their polling location? Yep. So in the meantime, there is a trial, if I'm not mistaken, Correct. of the uh, challenge to this in the Florida District Court. Yep. And yep. good news again: good guys win, right? The good guys win, and the good guys win, even accounting for the Supreme Court advisory opinion. <laughs> 
because mm-hmm. they reconcile it the same way they reconcile. He basically, it's the same judge, right? But yeah. the guy, the guy who wrote the injunction reconciles it. And it's, he says, like, we take as a given that you could strip their right to vote. Given the Florida Supreme Court's decision, we take as a given that the sentence includes fines. But one, you still can't constitutionally strip the right to vote based on unpayable fines. And so you can't do this to people who are truly indigent. Two, you are not even going to get through your backlog until 2026, leaving everyone like, you know, everyone in doubt, because not only do they not know whether they have outstanding fines, you don't know if they have outstanding fines and you can't even answer the question if they ask you. And, And we've now done the work and it's not that some of the people have unpayable fines. It's almost everybody to the point where it's not even worth distinguishing between the people who do have unpayable fines and the people who could plausibly pay them and get themselves out of uh out of hock yeah it turns out that going to jail for a number of years over felony you know tends to materially affect uh in the negative your financial situation (laughs) and so they're they're not economically productive people right so if you just stuff a bunch of fines on people and say well what the amendment meant is that you can get it back once you have enough money to do so that's going to be like Matt Gates. Like, there's nobody else. Like, who the fuck is going right. to get, you know, there's nobody else. There's very few people who are going to get convicted of felonies. They're going to come out of there with a ton of money that the first thing they want to spend it on is uh, get <laughs> this, even if they had the money, which they probably don't. No, yeah. a, in the outline, you pulled the remarkable quote again. I, Charles, you said it, but I mean, this is in 2020. The state is on pace to complete its initial screening of citizens by 2026 or perhaps later and only then will have an initial opinion about which citizens must pay and how much they must pay to be allowed to vote yeah another another nugget from the opinion was uh the court saying that in the 18 months since amendment 4 was adopted the division meaning the division that reviews the clemency request has had some false starts but has not completed its review of not a single registration (laughs) Eighteen and a half. Zero. Yeah. And we're at zero. I would would love that job. That is a great (laughs) job. I can do that job. (laughs) Imagine teleworking with that job. I think and your boss is completely happy. This is this is like the the epitome of quiet quitting. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I think the trial court hits the right line here because the idea that if you can't figure it out, but your restoration of voting rights is conditioned on paying regardless, then this does not, this is one of the rare cases where this law will not even pass rational basis. There's no way for this statute to exist in a rational manner unless you want to admit what you're actually doing, which is you don't want people to restore their vote. You are attempting to block by facially neutral procedural methods, the restoration of any voting under this amendment. Well, this is another great ALAP theme where the trial court judge has to actually, you know, unfuck a situation uh, using facts and logic. Yeah. Uh, and then suddenly the cavalry can arrive and use the the storied 
uh, logic of appellate litigation to uh, effectuate an evil fraternity. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, what another thing that drove me crazy as I read through these cases is that Florida was flailing, right? Like they knew that they had what was like a facially untenable situation. Yeah, because because as the court knows, they're they're very obviously just not doing anything. They're, yeah, they are they are in fact using facially neutral procedural grounds to block the rights of anyone <laughs> to vote for <laughs> indefinitely yeah. by doing by doing jack shit. Right, right. Yeah. They're being yeah. accused of it, and they're going, "Well, yeah, <laughs> that's but not, what's the <laughs> problem? Yeah, but fiction. maybe we will do something someday." Yeah. <laughs> 2026 uh, or later. And so uh, as they, and so as they go through, they keep like saying things to the court, right? The state says felons who register in good faith need not fear prosecution. Yeah. And one of the, they say that like they're very like they would have one of the things that the judge criticized was the form, right? The application form. Right. And it says, like, what is the what is the felony that you have now completed your sentence on that you now want to be restored? And you go, okay, well, that seems like something I should fill out. And then the form is like, and what are any other felonies you've committed? (laughs) Right. Where it's like, just like, if you're filling out that form, you're like, oh, I'm good. This is a trap. I don't want it that bad. Putting leaves over the spike pit. (laughs) So I. Tell us about some other crimes you have done. Yeah. Please. Uh, And so they're like, so. So the so the judge is like, you can't be serious about how this isn't supposed to be a deterrent. And they like and the judge lists all of these cases of Florida prosecutors going after people for petty mistakes. Like they went after like the bo- the head of like an elections board who yeah. registered with his work address which is bad and clearly illegal but he did it because he didn't want people that he was denying the vote to to come knock on his door (laughs) (laughs) and so like he wanted to keep his own address private right and the state also said that anyone who requests an advisory opinion and acts in accordance with the opinion is immune from prosecution under the criminal statutes, and you should what? hear ominous music. Yeah, now. if you think if you think that that's you know that makes it okay, uh, just put a pin in that. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll get back to that. Uh, and so, like, they keep making concessions throughout the litigation to try to make it not sound as draconian as it actually which, uh, is. Which has and, the effect of making it sound a yeah, thousand and, times And the concessions, by the way, are what um, some people might, they're just lying. They're just straight up lying. Yes. Yeah. Yes. yes. This isn't going to yeah, deter just anybody. they positions. They, they'll they'll you know, be totally like, immun- immunized. None of that is yeah. true. Yeah, and it's like, it's literally like all of the people who are trying to argue that Dobbs isn't so bad because doctors are lying. <laughs> About how people have medical emergencies. Yeah. Anyway, so that's it. They won. They won. Yeah. <laughs> this judge saw through it, and he uh, and he rationalized. Thank God. The Florida Supreme Court opinion, and uh, he he blocked the uh, he blocked the law. And then everybody got their voting rights back. Yep. Uh, until 
<laughs> Until <laughs> the appeal. Yeah. Uh, it goes up to the 11th Circuit, and it's heard en banc, uh, which means that the gang's all here. All of the judges of the circuit are involved. Um, that's usually not the way it works, right? There's usually a, a panel of three. You start with a panel. Uh, yeah, and sometimes you can request en banc review uh, of that panel decision if you don't like it. Yeah, I want to read it. But in this it. case... Yeah, in this case, this was heard initially on Bonk. Does anybody know why? Yeah, the governor and the secretary of the state, uh, basically DeSantis, asked for an on Bonk hearing initially. Just said, let's go on Bonk. We don't want a panel. We don't want to take the risk that you're going to get the wrong three judges. We know we got the whole bench stacked. So if you bring yeah. them all in, we're definitely going to win. So let's just hear it on Bonk outright. And because they had so, their numbers and they were right, that request gets granted. Can I, can I be get... clear about how stacked the bench is? <laughs> there are 10 judges. Included are three judges, two of whom served on the Florida <laughs> Supreme Court for the advisory opinion. You see why you want it on bonk now? You want to make sure the weight is all there. You want all those. And judges. a third Trump judge who was the Solicitor General of Alabama when they yeah. when he was defending a similar felon disenfranchisement law. Yeah. Uh, so that's – I want you to keep this number three in mind. For later numbers. <laughs> to, to avoid the risk of getting a bad poll of three uh, mealy-mouthed libs, uh, they knew that the overall makeup of the court was such that there was no loser. Yeah, we can't lose. So let's just go on bonk outright. Yeah, and they all declined yeah. to recuse, by the way. They yeah. were asked to recuse, and they said absolutely. Why would you? Yeah, forget it. When you say they, you mean those who were actually part of the Supreme Court. The two who would be reviewing their own homework. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and who said that... Uh, this is not going to work. <laughs> yeah, they had a very strong supposition that they would win with the with all the homies present, and in fact, they were proven correct. Right? Uh, uh, the Eleventh Circuit reverses the trial, and again, I have to say, this you know, you, you know, my general contempt for uh, appellate lawyers and appellate courts, but again, this poor fucking guy down in the district court co consolidates five cases you know goes through all the litigation of this has a fucking trial issues a lengthy and well-reasoned opinion and he, these guys could just come in and go actually our larger brains just fuck you fuck you district court you know i mean it, it's gotta be frustrating for the district court judge, among other people, you know, why bother if if you're just going to get you know this kind of treatment later? Yeah, um, I mean, the like it just it does two things. I mean, it reverses the district court and it overrules the earlier panel opinion that upheld the injunction, and it just sort of like the whole thing is it just kind of shrugs and it goes, it's not an equal protection violation. There's nothing, uh, they're not a protected class. Mm. And so since wealth is not a protected class, of course you can make them pay these fines. Like it doesn't matter whether they can pay them or not. This We agree that the Supreme Court of Florida was right on the definition of Amendment 4 and there's no equal protection problem. And so we are overruling the panel and we are uh, just giving it our stamp of approval, you know? 
No, no, not Tark, not just the district court. The earlier CA11 panel decision had made a little bit of law, and so they said, "Well, we're going to reach down and get that thing too. We don't want that. We don't want that on the books or anybody citing to it." <laughs> yeah, so that's a nullity as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this thing where you uh, showed grace and mercy uh, was a huge problem. Yeah, we got to get rid of that. <laughs> so you get so you get language in here that is uh, pretty outstanding, pretty. Uh, disheartening, including there is no evidence that any kind of animus towards indigent felons motivated Florida voters and legislators to condition reenfranchisement on the completion of all terms of sentence. After all, the voters of Florida made it easier for the vast majority of felons <laughs> who are disproportionately <laughs> indigent to regain their voting rights. Well, they tried. Yeah, so if you bake in our fucking ridiculous definition of terms of sentence, then this then our interpretation makes perfect sense. Nobody's <laughs> nobody's got animus here. Look, all the voters of Florida voted to restore it. You know, ignoring the fact that like then you came in and slammed the fucking door shut. Yeah. Right. And yeah, it's funny like, that I, they they sort of they tie voters and legislators there and like it was all just one yeah, thing, yeah, you know. All did yeah, I mean, what are what are legislators but a subset of voters? I mean, I understand that Tarek didn't read the opinion, but I read yeah. this passage fourteen times. <laughs> <laughs> I just kept being like, "Wait, wait a second! They how did you do that? How yeah. did you make the f- voters you?" <laughs> If you're a law student, you might be thinking, man, I should figure out how the attorney pulled that victory at the district court level and everything they did. You know, I should I should learn from that person. Wrong. You should learn how to do this kind of move where you, <laughs> where you just you can rhetorically frame up, bundle up your opponent's arguments until they sound fucking stupid as shit. And your totally insupportable position is the only reasonable one, reasonable one on the table. That's like 98 right. percent. Well, of I will tell you, I figured out how. Uh, they won in the district court, which is that he is a uh, senior judge who was nominated by Bill Clinton mm. and who uh, read the papers. Got it. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> and evidence. <laughs> uh, and, and so uh, three Trump judges decided to take a dump on his retirement case. Yeah. <laughs> you will you will be increasingly less uh, likely to to find a judge like that at the district. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Thanks for that, coming out. That kind of practice is becoming obsolete. Yeah, he's one of these suckers who still thinks we have a system, you know, and that there's you know that there's a process to all this, uh, and in fact doesn't understand that all you got to do now is just own the libs uh, or own the conservatives. Yeah, and then they doubled down, by the way, on that passage, because they were mm. just like, our dissenting colleagues quibble. Great start. Respectful. Quibbling, yeah. Never it's good. It's very respectful. Yeah. Our dissenting colleagues quibble with our assertion that all of these registered voters are, quote, entitled to vote. Oh, my fucking <laughs> God. <laughs> but they point to no evidence that any of the 85,000 voters will be unable to cast a ballot in an upcoming election. Base drop. <laughs> oh, my fucking God. <laughs> now, if you'll recall. Show me one. Show me one voter. Guess, bitch, yeah. can't. You don't know any of these guys. Oh, you're quibbling uh, with our assertion. We said they can I vote. Prove they can't. Oh, oh, yeah. uh-oh. I, yeah, so so that's it. So I, like, I was I screamed. <laughs> Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then they just throw out the idea that punitive fees and court costs are a poll tax. They're just like, we yeah. disagree. Yeah. That's just silly. 
It's not a tax. It's not a tax. So, again, I mean, these guys, they know their stuff. You know, they're they're circuit court judges. These are the guys that are big time. Uh, And they say that there is no evidence uh, that any of these 85,000 voters will be unable to cast a ballot in an upcoming election. I think that's impossible to you can't prove that somebody can't do something that hasn't happened yet. Right. Well, let me just say, I mean, I try to find the silver lining in <laughs> each such cloud. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, they're telling me that all these 85,000 people are, in fact, uh, they're asserting, it's their assertion that these uh, these re- these registered voters are entitled to vote. Mm. And That's there is true. no evidence that they will yeah. be unable to do so. Okay. That's true. So they'll probably right. just they can, start They voting. can at least Problem uh, cast again. a provisional ballot. Yeah. Problem solved, right? That's right. I mean, I, uh, That's there's it. no real harm, uh, but wait a minute. If they register to vote, I'm sure it'll be fine. There are just a few more days left in the 2022 legislative session. Now yet another controversial bill is headed to the governor's desk. It creates a group dedicated solely to policing our elections. But as 10 Tampa Bay's Hannah Deneen explains, some say it's a solution in search of a problem. Senate Bill 524, the election administration bill, would create an office of election crimes and security under Florida's Department of State. So essentially, it's a policing force dedicated to pursuing election crimes like voter fraud. They'll be specialists. They're going to understand what's legal, what's not legal. They're going to have the ability uh, to investigate any crimes involving the election. And I think that's going to be something that's very, very important. Aaron, this bill is all about voter fraud. It puts millions behind efforts to investigate and vet voter fraud. So it creates this office of election crimes and security, uh, which is within the Department of State. They're going to run that voter fraud hotline, which already existed in the state, but but would essentially keep looking for voter fraud. Now, as we, sh- we should be really clear, Voter fraud happens really, really rarely. Uh, a couple of times in it, it, it was reported, you have election officials who will notice it. When I talk to election officials, they say, oh, yeah, we had, you know, one incident in this election. It's really rare. But this bill aims to put millions behind this investigation effort, as well as hiring 10 sworn officers from a different department who would also investigate voter fraud. So up 25 different people all looking for voter fraud. Now, the bill would cost taxpayers almost $4 million in Florida, uh, despite the fact that there really is not a lot of evidence of voter fraud in Florida. I just I just want to get something in very quickly. But there were three judges who refused to recuse uh, and the vote was six to four (laughs) to reverse. Very good. So uh, you the, the anyone with a pencil at home can figure out how this went. And so I guess, uh, spoiler, uh, despite all of these promises, they have just started uh, arresting people under this law. They have started arresting people who were told they could vote and registered to vote and then voted uh, because uh, they were wrong. But they are uh, re-arresting individuals uh, now because they voted in certain cases, in the ProPublica reporting, for example, individuals who were registered by state officials while in jail in the yeah. initial phases of elation over the fact that uh, these folks were going to come home and could come in from the cold, 
so you know, basically uh, signed up by 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 you know official people in jail, casting ballots, and then uh, you know they think they're getting out of jail, and like hold on a second, um, yeah, we're bringing you up on new charges, uh, charges of illegal voting. Yeah, yeah. This is Alachua County. The the county official goes in, holds a voter registration drive. Hey guys, you heard about that amendment? Your rights are getting restored. Who wants to sign up? Uh, yeah. And so then you get some excited people signing up, but they're either they allege at least that they weren't told about the conditions, or they weren't told that they couldn't vote, or they weren't told that they could be prosecuted if they fucked this up, or that you know basically that there should have been a big red flag stop sign. Do not move further. The county official now, of course, says like, oh, I totally advised them of everything. I definitely said all that stuff. That's why I spent all day in the jail doing this shit. And uh, and instead, these guys are, I mean, people are just racking up new charges. They're getting, some people are pleading out. Some people are waiting trial. It was the jail, right? So these are a lot of people who are pending uh, trial. And so one of the things that they say is that the person doing the drive was like, well, you haven't been convicted yet, so you don't have to check the felony box. <laughs> and, and, you know, they deny that they did it. But, like, what if this isn't your first felony? Right. Right? And now you don't check the felony box and you've got outstanding right. fines from the prior one and you've just been tricked by – and to be clear, even though this sounds like an op, <laughs> right, the Alachua County officials uh, were doing it in good faith. Right. Like they were actually trying to restore people's rights, even though it sounds like the biggest, you know, like you tiptoe in in a costume and trick people into getting a new conviction. Mm -hmm. um, like they seem to have been acting in good faith, except now they're just denying yeah. that they did anything wrong. Sorry, right? I'm not going to give them the benefit of the doubt when somebody who's actually facing prosecution for this says, look, you guys didn't explain this to us. And they go, no, we definitely did. Oh, right, I'm not going to accept that I fucked this up here. You just, why don't you just go to jail for an extra year? Yeah. Um, and of course this plays right into the need to show uh, a broken electoral system to find evidence of fraud. Uh, you know, there, you, know, there's a grand, yeah. There's a grand project of, of making sweeping claims of just absolute, you know, rampant fraud uh, in the electoral system. And so you need these cases to yeah. show. So there's a there's a, actually like an upside to fucking with these people. Uh, Op or not, nobody's going to be taking advantage of this this application for the time that being. That is the point. That's what, I, Absolutely. I, I'm sure if you're it's a, a purposeful prisoner's right, like if you're actually doing this in good faith, you're not going to be advising people to sign these forms for now. Right. No. You got to have some kind of clarity before you can actually go out to, you know, jails or prisons and start getting people enrolled in these things. Because otherwise you're going to be on the hook. And unless it. you are right. insane, you know, you're not looking at this going, I definitely am going to try to get my voting rights back right now. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, you're definitely not going to do this on your own. <laughs> yeah, that's that's. It just ain't fucking worth it. Our Office uh, of Election Crimes and Security, in conjunction with the Attorney General's Office and FDLE, uh, the state of Florida uh, has charged and is in the process of arresting. 20 individuals across the state for voter fraud. And 
not just going to turn a blind eye, a blind eye to this. The days of that happening in Florida are over. It was a splashy press conference from Broward County. We're going to be very watchful uh, of the people who vote. In August, the governor, flanked by local law enforcement and state VIPs, announced his new elections crime and security office. This was my idea. Had made its first catch. Brian Kramer, the state attorney in Alachua County, has, you know, under scrutiny, created a project or a a series of processes in order for a felon to verify whether they're able to register and have their, you know, civil rights, their voting rights restored. And if you if you go to this, if you go to this project, if you go to the the requirements here, they're just incredible. So it's a it's an online it's it's not an online application. That's the first. No, it's printed out. You got to print it out. And and they're and they're answer to this they say why can't i apply online well they say well listen to determine your voting eligibility we're going to have to take your ssn we're going to have to take your driver's license you know sending that kind of information over the internet that's pretty risky so we're going to need a written application okay that's that's uh that's hurdle one now it has to all you also need a notarized signature on it that's hurdle two right now you are really starting to fuck with people's ability to get this thing in you know i will do pretty much i'll do pretty much anything to avoid getting something fucking notarized. Yeah, you know? <laughs> I'm not fucking doing this. And the government, the government is well aware of how to have ch- you know secure transmission of information. That ha- that is a that is a fucking solved problem at least for these guys here. I don't think that this is. Yeah, they any, can figure out. Any government official deals with everyone's social security all number the every time. Day. So, so, sorry, yeah. I've already found my favorite part of this page. If if I am ineligible to vote, will you explain why? No, no, comma. no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, they will not. And they say, well, you know, it's the, the we got to look, you know, we're using FBI databases. We got to be careful about that. And, you know, once we determine we'll stop and issue a letter of ineligibility, we, we won't be able to figure out every single matter that makes you ineligible. And so, therefore, any information that we have might be incomplete. And so, because we can't give you an exhaustive history, uh, we're unwilling to do an exhaustive history, we can't tell you why at all. Basically, what you are applying for with your notarized application is a yes, no, thumbs up, thumbs down, and zero additional information. So, you can't even you can't even learn new information from this uh, about how to get your rights restored. It's also not Andy. good outside the eighth eighth yes, circuit that's right. to yeah. stay. Yeah, like, they say, well, we hope other Andy. people would take it into account, but you know, look, if they prosecute you, we can't really do anything about it. We'd be yeah. happy to send the letter that we sent you, telling you you might be fine. Uh, but if you are yeah. prosecuted, you know, uh, that would be what well, we. Would, that's your problem. And yeah. so, good luck so with that. Andy, why would I want to utilize this program? Yeah, I mean, it's it's just a fucking ludicrous. I mean, I I know you're 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 queuing up the next section, but they're just like voting is to, is an import right and civic duty. They import right. They didn't write important. <laughs> yeah, they mistyped important. I mean, this is this has this has very like GeoCities feel overall. Yes. I'm surprised there's not yeah. like an animated GIF at the top. When you read uh, when you where, read where this the, thing, the, the overall impression that you get is not that this is a voting rights restoration program meant to facilitate. It is the opposite. Every piece of it's this a is a hurdle. It's a hurdle, yeah. and it comes with absolute threats. This is incomplete information. We cannot know for sure. You might be completely fucked the next county over. Uh, you know. Take it at your own risk. We're willing to, in 12 to 18 months, send you a thumbs up, thumbs down that is totally unreliable. But at least we won't prosecute you if I send you that letter. Now, if you would spend five to six hours gathering all your information, submitting the application, which, you know, again, we may find an error in, you have to do twice. uh, 
possibly you might be accepted into the program for the chance to win a surprise prosecution later. Look at how they write this, right? They actually do yeah. ask on this page the question, why would I want to utilize yeah, it? Right, right, right. Yeah, I was right? thinking the same thing, man. <laughs> and and their, yeah, their, their answer is like, eh, and their, really. Well, their answer is great. They go, voting is an important right, type wrong, but they say voting is an important right and a civic duty. However. However. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then the rest of the paragraph is... At your own risk, buddy. Yeah, you may want to you watch know, your ass. Maybe, maybe it, it reminds me of the the Simpsons scene where, where uh, Kirk Van Houten gets fired and his boss goes, "I don't recall saying good luck after he says that's right. it." <laughs> so that's it. Good Goodbye luck. and good luck. <laughs> yeah. I don't recall saying. As this program is scrutinized and has received some national scrutiny, I have been a little bit disappointed by some of that coverage because a lot of it has drilled down to the horse race implications and just been like, yeah, they're exactly. doing this for politics. It's all about politics. On on the DeSantis. media and Twitter, I can't, yeah. I can't believe that's, yeah. that they would do such a thing. This is their response. They're like, well, we got to do some kind of fig leaf thing. They throw up this program. But if you read the program, if you take a look at it uh, – Every detail of it is a hurdle. It is a threat and a hurdle. No one is going to do it. It is entirely very well designed, in my opinion, to deter people from taking advantage of this. I think it doesn't just deter that. It also deters another amendment or any kind of oh, yeah, organizing yeah. oxygen for further legislative development. I mean, right. now they've headed off at the past any kind of statute that would codify this and bother? would direct yeah, agencies to, to do that because people are going to say – well, we went out, we voted for this amendment, and now nothing happened. Like, no one's using it. Like, why are we going to keep fighting for this if no one gets it? Totally not understanding that, and you know, what all everything that we just said has gone into – I think that that you know, has the, happened the in Washington, D.C. Like, uh, you, there was a, a resolution passed or whatever for everybody to change the way tipped workers were paid here. You have yeah. to get a living wage. And, uh, you know, Jose Andres and the and – the, and the tipped workers working at all the, the, all the lobbyist residents, all the, I'm sorry, all the lobbyist restaurants, they were all against it. And everybody else who like wants a regular life was like, yeah, we love it. And so it, it passed. It passed like I think overwhelming majority. And then, yeah, and then the city in, council in, was in, like, like no, nah, we're good. No, nah, we're not going to do that. Fuck off. And I, I I would bet that that's – I guess I haven't done the research, but I would bet that that's had a similar effect where people are just like, well, why but, would I fucking yeah. organize to do any of this shit? You're just going right, to – Right, and, and the organizing for this – is someone coming up to you and being like, okay, you remember like a couple of years ago, you voted to give uh, felons the right to vote back? And they go, yeah, that was fucking great. I was so proud of myself. And they go, okay, uh, well, now you have to sign another one that says that they don't have to pay their fines. <laughs> yeah. And you go, wait, yeah. what? Well, it, it's going to be even different. It's like, going to be like, like trying to convince someone, yeah, right. like they wouldn't have thought it before. Right. They would. Right. And then you're like, but it's like, you, there's no way to explain it that doesn't sound like incredibly narrow and also weird. Right. It's like the same thing where if you pull things in two different directions, there's no way anyone thought that it would be like this. But it's also very hard to convince someone that indigent people have like $200 worth of fines and that will keep them from ever voting. Is worth something that you're not angry at the clipboard bot guy over. Yeah, especially because you have to do it indirectly because it's not – that's not what the rule is. It's just that the rule is that they have to serve their sentence. So now you have right. to have a, an amendment that defines what sentence. full sentence is. Right. Yeah, and right. as we mentioned, as, as you were saying, uh, you know, people haven't really thought of it one way or the other. And I'm sure some people 
you know, don't care about it. But once you start asking them those specifics, it's like then they do have to think about it. And then the horse race politics and stuff comes into it and people start to come up with different things. And it, it won't get 65%. And, I'm sure. Right. And even like if that, you do, if, even if you do, imagine the kind of amendment that you have to design to get exactly. around yeah. when a legislature is willing to just put some people in a room, including like, you know, billionaire pack funded attorneys just sit around and figure out a way yeah. to just uh, tear this thing apart by, you know, hair splitting. You think they can yeah. do that? I think you're hitting at something very important here. Maybe if you wrote a better amendment activists, <laughs> none of this would have ever fucking right. happened. That's yeah. the real villain of this yeah, story. The real villain. Whoever wrote that the amendment. The nerd at the Brennan Center or whatever yeah. who you probably follows all of us. Names. He probably shares like yeah. epic gritty legal memes, has like 45 followers on Twitter. Oh my God. Fuck you. This ends up you fucking a- asshole. Way <laughs> to <laughs> boot it. Yeah. <laughs> He probably, probably already has guilt about all this, too. <laughs> yeah. And rightly goddamn so. <laughs> he's, he's, not playing this at, he's not playing this at the Brendan Center office at NYU. All proud of until we get to this point. <laughs> So that's the that's the that's the uh, that's the ultimate moral of the story. No, um, but you know, again, I, we said this at the top, but it bears repeating. I mean, you have to think of the years and the years of effort that have gone into this uh, on all sides, all the human effort and energy that has gone into this, your legislative branch, your executive branch, the state judiciary, the federal judiciary, a plebiscite. Uh, and this is what you're left with. Right. That an effort to go out and say that I would like my neighbors to be able to reenter the process, uh, this horrible process of being <laughs> in this fucking society. Uh, has led to this more people being convicted <laughs> at the end of it. You know, uh, I yeah. consent. I consent. Yeah, <laughs> I don't. An incredible coup for civil rights organization. Yeah, that is unceremoniously and undemocratically overturned, and just like shoving a handful of dog shit right in your fucking face. Yeah, think about yeah. the just the mountains of human effort. For this confusion and ultimately a bunch of fucking cons getting turned right back around and pushed back into the jail because they fucking voted after all this. Mm -hmm. I mean, the pathway to participation in society is clearer in Paul Verhoeven's Starship Troopers, you know, <laughs> than this shit. You know? <laughs> I mean, I just got to sign up for the fucking, you know, Federal Marines and go get eaten by a bug on an ugly planet, a bug planet, and I'll right. get the vote eventually if I make it back out. Like, the, right, what just, is this? Uh... <laughs> Like, the, like a, a dystopian uh, version of our future is more bureaucratically yeah. streamlined than this bullshit. Yeah. So, uh, again, if you are a enterprising young lawyer going into civil rights and <laughs> constitutional issues and reforms and uh, impact litigation, uh, much as with the Rikers episode, uh, buckle in for a long fight. All of these episodes should not be that things should be in despair, just that... If you're a lawyer, your work is never done, which is good because that means you'll keep getting uh, money and being gainfully employed. <laughs> 
And that's a lab. You can make a difference out there, right? So, yeah, definitely <laughs> go into this kind of work. Uh, Just learn, like, carpentry. <laughs> <laughs> you will do so much more good. Uh, well, with, like, right to fix laws and stuff, I don't actually know how much longer that's going to be. All right. That's a wrap. All right. Okay. Cool.